When the great red is a tourist spot and satin strings have parking lots way, but it will say the solar system's out. It won't be true, it won't be true. Here's a proposition I will put to you. We are just a vessel for a lot of intestinal flora, and if we own something, they will own it too. Kyle? Y- yes? What are we listening to? What we're listening to right now is a filking session, a continuum. And we're sitting down, there's a lady here with a harp. The student, this lady, are singing about the end of the world. And it's lovely. Welcome to the continuum, guys. <laughs> For wherever man encroaches, there'll be fleas and rats and roaches. And the galaxy is there's much as fears. So awesome nerdy folk music is just going to be one of the many things we talk about. Because we were at Continuum recently, which is a kind of a Wikipedia convention covering everything. So my name's Kyle Evans, and joining me is uh, Logan Husky from Husky Paws Productions. And Carnival. And Creighton. Uh, of the Act for On Air podcast. My take on what Continuum is, is that it is a geek and sci-fi culture convention that's actually mostly focused around writing as well as encompassing all the other parts so you will have maker sections you will have writing classes you will have art classes you will have a sales section it's also a place that brings together fandoms there's a lot of fan specific uh, panels there was a furry panel there was a doctor who panel there was science fiction tv throughout the ages it's really also geared towards specific fandoms and niches we actually did a panel of this and oh my god the prep time Welcome to Continuum and welcome to the Hitchhiker's Guide to Furry. Over the next hour, we will be presenting you with a collection of short stories. Stories about friendship, conflict and fandom. The furry fandom, to be precise. Kyle Evans, Erica Vesa, Sam Trunner and Chris McKenna present a Are Furries Truly an Alien Culture? This collection of true stories aims to look beyond the cartoon animals and delve into the truth behind furry parties, conventions and their minds. With the presenters whose work includes the Act for On Air podcast and the Midfur Convention, listen as they weave wicked awesome tales of friendship, conflict and the fandom. But not magic. Oh my god. This isn't a brony podcast. <laughs> We're just one word shy of it though. Go on. <laughs> and we actually got a fifth uh, friend in to do the recording of the narrator. Uh, so it very much followed that sort of hitchhiker's guide in that um, if we had anything that we needed to expand on, he would come in paired up with an absolutely amazing uh, slideshow presentation that Logan, every promise to him, came up with. Upon inspection of a potential venue for a furcon, initial questions usually asked by the event organisers include, more often than not, do you have a bar? Shortly followed by, how late is it open? And, do you think it can keep up with the demand? When asked what kind of demand, the best way to answer this question is to ask them to imagine that for every one of your attendees, alcohol will be required for the equivalent of three Mel Gibsons. Yeah, so but between the, the show that is him and uh, Ray's absolutely amazing narrator voice, we had quite a, quite a tight panel. The audience of four would probably agree that it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty easy to get a tally. Of, okay, we, yeah. we were the first one up on a Sunday, and there was yeah. a party on Saturday night, and a bunch of other headline ones next to us. So we were yeah. like, "Are we going to get many people?" It turns no. out, no. So we're actually hoping to maybe perform that at some other events this year as well, uh, as well as we had it recorded due to the magical gear of Kyle. So you guys can actually listen to that online via the link in the show notes. Yeah, exactly. It's on the podcast feed and it's on the website at cangeek.com. So if you want to listen to the whole, you know, 15 minute long podcast, it's a really good panel and we're really proud of it and we encourage you to the listen panel. to the, the podcast. The panel of the podcast. Oh, oh actually, didn't, was- didn't someone come up to you afterwards? 
yeah, people said nice things. And they, there was even that nice moment when you look out in the audience and you say uh, your cool little bit about how... There is so much validation in knowing that whatever you do or whoever you are, you're not alone. You may be an outlier on this bell curve, but remember, the data set is so large that there is a whole cluster of outliers. And you look out in the audience, you see that one person nodding, nodding their at head. The back, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. And it's we like, yes, vision. you, you get it. You know what I'm talking about. There's only other, you know, three other people here, but you get it. That's 25% of your audience. Because, <laughs> baby, you're in my bell curve. <laughs> uh, there was an unfortunate sort of happenstance that immediately after our panel it was first thing in the morning, Creighton nearly died. <laughs> well, okay, I didn't nearly die, but I was certainly not in the best of health, so Kyle was nice enough to take me home in his car, which means that for half the day there were only two people at the convention. Yeah, yeah, so just before you did leave, though, you managed to catch one of the panels. Do you remember what that was? Yes, the panel I caught first up was The Newbie's Guide to Writing, which is new to writing, not sure what to expect. Our panellists discuss critiquing, dealing with rejection, and everything else they wish they knew before they started. Panellists were Travis McKenzie, Jane Ratuli, Amanda Piller, Steve Cameron, and David McDonald. That's not Steve Cameron, the director, but a lot of people do get that confused, he said so in the panel. <laughs> I'm not a writer, but I was interested in it because I've got a friend that is recently becoming a writer, and I was interested in, you know, what do these people take as the first steps? It's a bit more than just the initial first steps it's if you are a writer and you're new at it and looking to get published what do you need to keep in mind and it had really good advice on things like rejection well, dealing dealing with rejection personally allow yourself that five minute round call the editor anything you want to say they don't know what they're talking about rewrite if you want to rewrite rewrite and get the story back out to another market oh and i'm saying he's not saying say it to the editor no no say it to, oh, your no, no, say it to yourself yeah, yeah. Back in or your say room. it to your loved ones Yes, and your initial gut reaction when you see all the track changes and all the red everywhere you've gone. Oh my god, why do they take it? If they hate it so much, why did they take it? They don't hate it, they just see the potential there. It was a really eye-opening panel more to the way the industry works behind the scenes compared to the actual newbie stuff of how do I write a page or how do I develop a story and stuff like that. That's the cool thing about Continuum. They actually get people who know what they're talking about. They get experts. Any other convention would have just gotten a bunch of rides to talk about their craft. Continuum takes it to the next level and gets industry experts, publishers, people who actually put the books on the shelves that you can buy and pay monies for. These are the people who are present at Continuum. One of the ladies at the Newbies writing panel, she is not a writer. She's actually a publicist. So there was the, here's the people, here's a newbie writer and a new published writer and a long-time writer and a long-time award-winning writer and a publicist. So they could actually give you the whole spectrum of those steps in the industry, which is really cool. all the perspectives, yeah. Hmm. So at the very same time, um, I have to say, I, I wasn't at something so, so decadent. Uh, me and Logan here were actually at the Dragon's Flying School workshop. I think it was a great idea. Uh, it was probably geared to a younger age-ish than we were. What were you doing? Okay, it's, you know how you make paper aeroplanes, right? I'm with you so yeah. far. It is, <laughs> uh, it was folding basically paper aeroplanes, but they were the fashioned in the shape of dragons and things like that. So there's a whole bunch of um, pre, pre-stenciled ones in this book, which then photocopied that people could use, or you could trace from the book uh, onto a sheet of paper. And we basically couldn't get they, out of fly. No, no, I don't think anyone could. And like the panel wasn't quite long enough for people to, complete it and um they didn't have enough people sort of uh organizing the workshop to be able to help everyone out in order to get them done uh so maybe a little bit uh 
tighter preparation could have helped. Um, but overall, it was fun. And, like, you know, ki- kids and everyone was having sort of fun doing it. So I, I would rate it as a success at least. And yours maybe didn't fly, but it did pretty. Yeah, yeah. I totally went all the pencils on it. It was yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, we've actually got a whole bunch of photos of Continuum up on the website, including Carnival's Amazing Dragon. So shortly after, we found ourselves being shoved out of that room because it needed to be set up for the next one into the merch area, which is where we were very quickly apparently becoming aware that Creighton was sort of very much needing Dying. to go home. Yeah. He was sort of propped up against a wall in a chair, just like, <laughs> just slimed to the spot for the moment. But yeah. I, I gotta admit, I've never caught Concrud mid con before. Yeah. <laughs> That's a first. The merch area. How was that? The merch area is really fascinating. What they had there was a whole bunch of people selling books, craft work. Over in the corner, they have someone doing some looming. They were weaving. Who weaves at a convention? Oh, my God. There was weaving? Yeah. How did I miss that? It was like I was staring at it She for was five weaving minutes. a rainbow. Yeah, but you were also yeah. slimed to the spot, so you don't expect you to be capable of much more, but... No, it's, it's actually interesting how the looming works, which is that there's a double-tooth comb which when you push it down one way will actually cause the loom to switch sides um, from the cross piece, which is actually how it does the weaving uh, stitch. And I, I had no idea how looming worked before. I just knew it was a bunch of clunking with wood. But to actually see it done was really cool. And like like Carl said, it was a rainbow, which is always lovely. Got extra points because it was a rainbow. Actually, there was one table that had all sorts of, was it crocheted or knitted octopies and stuff. Oh my god, yeah, crocheted cephalopods. Yeah, that was amazing. Like, they were just, like, so adorable. And, like, They'd made them specifically for the con. I was talking to yeah, them and I said, yeah. oh, wow, what are the odds? I go, no, no, we did this with this in yeah. mind. Oh, <laughs> oh, we should totally mention at, at this point that, like, Continuum is all things squid. Like, the, no, the Continuum con book, this year Oh, it's not squid con. There's generally a baseline level of squidiness at yeah. every continuum, but yes. the squid, this was a this was a peak amount of squid. Yeah, yeah. This, this was like you know total pro extra squid yeah. level squid unprecedented boss levels of squidiness. You learned yeah. squid things, didn't you? I sure did. I learned so much about squids. There was a a panel about stranger than fiction panel. It has Hesper, Ben McKenzie, and Chris McMahon. I might be saying that wrong. McMahon. Uh, the blurb is. Sometimes even the oddest aliens and most marvellous myths have nothing on reality. Entering the world of two-faced cats, mind-controlled zombie ants, birds that sing with two voices, luminous sugsex, and vampire squids from hell. Sugsex? Slugsex. That's still, that just is bad with the actual answer. <laughs> yeah, and I know, it, it, the reality is much worse. Um, basically, what the, the panel was exploring is um, a whole lot of aliens and like fictional creatures very much based on, I guess, our comprehension. Like, uh, and I can't. We guess we can't really be held at fault for that as we write what we know. But like, oftentimes you go to like other planets and stuff, and there'll be bipedal things, there'll be humanoid things. Why? There is so many things on Earth that boggle the mind and are so much more different than any of these, fi- like within the fictional realms. Actually, there is an answer to that. It's called the anthropic principle. Yeah. See also TV tropes. Most writers are human. <laughs> no, I think one of the panelists actually said he was like, "Well, most writers are human," and then we'll, and then the other leader was like, "All writers are human," and I was like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> <laughs> and then there is the facet as well that you know you have to write what's sort of endearing to people. Like you know, a lot of people like cats, therefore uh, felinoid things are attractive to what people would want to read about. But yeah, this this one dude, his passion for squids being the most alienic, like otherworldly creature, was just kind of amazing. Have you seen them? Well, they're creepy. Yeah, the like, con has a theme about it for that reason. Well, I yes, I but why carnival? Why? Well, okay. Well, 
they can unbutton their head. They actually have organic press studs in their head, which they can pull apart, put an arm up in there, scrape out all the grit and stuff, the clerks in there, probably from only having a press stud head, and then put it back over. You know how they can, like, like octopi and squids in general can squish themselves through really tiny things? As long as their beak, which is the only bone slash hard portion of their body, as long as that can fit through, they can squish the rest through. Everything's kind of squishy and malleable. And um, deep sea squids in particular are really fascinating because um, of the depth that they live at is deeper than uh, a whole lot of other organic stuff like that. I mean there's the depth at which sperm whales can dive to and these ones they don't quite know and they only know as much as they have seen colossal squid wash up so they because be a they're so rare and hard to get squid colony down there oh god yeah oh god yeah and you'd never know and like just just elements like uh, their blood is not actually... Oh, it's not, oh it's yeah, not no, no. It's, it's copper-based instead of iron-based. Yes, which makes it kind green of green Green instead of red. Yeah, so... Uh, and, and to keep the buoyancy down, uh, they they use a portion of their urine or something in that uh, in internally and in their system, so the ammonia content, to actually keep them down at that depth. So if you were to bite uh, into a colossal squid, it's not going to be like giant calamari. It's going to taste like piss. Drano, like 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 really strong sort of washing chemicals and stuff. They're just really like crazy. And oh my god, the one that we read up on recently, how how their arms actually have uh, the, oh they have neural clusters. Yes, which which means that's how they can sort of react to stuff really quickly. Think about it like you pull your hand away from a hot stove because your receptors go, it's hot. They send that back to your brain and, and before you actually consciously think about it, that signal's already back down to your hand to tell it to pull away. These have little clusters in their actual arms. So before it even happens, before their head is even conscious, they, they react to this, which is really crazy. And um, what, one of their mating habits is to uh, load one of their arms uh, with sperm cell content and shoot it off, like detached from the body at the female and lodge it anywhere in her body. Anywhere? Anywhere. anywhere. And it will hopefully, you know, get where it needs to go and more squids made. Well, welcome to Squidcast, by the way. now you knew much more about squids than yeah, you yeah. wanted to. <laughs> So at the same time that I was uh, attending this one, what were you doing, Logan? I was checking out the many faces of Sherlock Holmes. Now this is a this is a really fun panel. Uh, not just looking at the recent uh, incarnations of Sherlock in the uh, Robert Downey Jr. and BBC miniseries. That's a new one, isn't it? Yes. So th th those are the two main recent incarnations of the uh, of the character. But it went right back to looking at the original Arthur Conan Doyle books. And originally it was written as a contemporary piece. It was written in the 1880s of the 1880s. So when they when it started when they started doing the plays in say the 1920s, that's actually where the deer hunter hat, you know, that classic Sherlock Holmes look with that you know, you would never wear that today, obviously. <laughs> Even though the character's like gone through all this time and it changed so much, the kind of the base character's still there and like the as you said, the the modern version of him has been revamped, mm. but we really still like that well, what, trope. They actually talked about a lot of the stuff that stayed the same and what has, you know, evolved over the time. For instance, um, in the original books, Watson has returned from war in Afghanistan with a with an injury. Wow, war in Afghanistan over a hundred years later and they don't need to change that quite significant part of his yeah. character. 
When you walk with Sherlock Holmes, you see the battlefield. You've seen it already, haven't you? Who the hell are you? So when I finally got back from dropping off the Cradens, I caught up with you, Carnival, and you were in the Art Workshop Masterclass, which was hosted by people from Squishface Studio, where they were trying to look at um, character design and how to develop a, a new character or hone an existing one. And so I walked in midway through that. So how did they actually pitch it to you guys? It was kind of a whole lot of sheets, like just photocopied that had like turnaround anime faces. And then uh, if anyone about knows anything about learning how to draw, you actually should never, ever, ever start with anime. It doesn't teach you the right sort of shapes, forms, and, and all sorts of things like that. So we, we, we went through the motions and um, got a whole bunch of cards out of a hat which had an expression on them, which you would try to draw based from these bits of material that we had around. Uh, I'd just like to also preface here. For those of you that don't know, Carnival here is actually an artist. So she tends to do this stuff quite a lot. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I would be, yeah, I would be totally not lying if I said I was going in there with a... Not, not so much critical mind, but wanting to learn something. Like, you, you, know, had expe- says, you had expectations. Yes, yes, I had expectations. And if it says Masterclass, of, of course. But how about you did draw an awesome B-man? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is what like, like I decided to do, is give myself more of a challenge. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to pick two expressions out. I'm going to try and do both of those at the same time. And also I got uh, Kyle to give me a species. This what is did the you end up of, making? Oh, uh, it was a... I got, I got angry, I got happy, and Kyle gave me B. So it was like this like, bogany, buncho, bully bee dude, and, like, someone's just, like, punched him in the face, and he's like, oh, you got lucky with that one, but now I'm going to fuck you off. Like, <laughs> so he was kind of happy in his rage. <laughs> Again, that, that can be seen in the, um, the other, uh, with the other pictures. Yeah. <laughs> it really sort of comes back to the bare bones of it. Every artist should definitely reinforce, re-encourage that basic shapes, life-drawing thing. Like, that, that uh, at least in my mind, should be something you can always fall back on and always refer people to. The, the people hosting it were, were really interesting and could were quite talented in, them, in their own right. And um, it wasn't until I asked them or, or when people sort of came to them and really coaxed it out of them that much could be drawn from them, which is unfortunate because they should be giving this out left, right and centre. It was really cool looking through their sketchbooks and stuff, but not a lot was really shared. It, it sort of didn't have that really upbeat, creative uh, environment that I was hoping for, I guess. Graydon, read this for me because I seem to be incapable oh, of sentence. This, this was this was on the last one you guys saw. I really was sad that I missed this one. It's called Build It and They Will Come. The panelists were Hesper, Patrick O'Duffy, Peter Ball, and Darren Sanderson. And the pitch is, like any fictional world, the best role-playing settings have personality as complex and individual as their characters. Whether it comes from a rule book, out of your head, or a combination of both, as a GM, how do you imbue your world with life? I used to DM for a long while, and this would have been a really great panel to see, but I was unconscious, so tell me about it. Uh, yeah, like, the sort of the overall message at the end of it was, do whatever's your style. I mean, some people do do more character-oriented stuff, some people do do more harsh DMing. Um, what was the other key advice they said? Don't, um, don't be afraid to kill your villains. Like, let them die. We know you love them, but they have to die sometimes for the characters to move forward. I'd suggest either encourage the GM to go, okay, what, what, what's, what's better? Your villain repeatedly escaping through some contrived situation at the end or going down in some huge, epic, ridiculous way that the players are always going to remember and go with the whole, you know, the memory of them is the thing that will live on cliche. Um, yes. Or go with the Dracula-type thing of, yeah, you've wandered in, you've beheaded in, you've looted his castle, you've walked off, and oh, look, he's just turned to mist and come back again, Nina, Nina. I think, on the one hand, I think it's a really good sign as GM if you're creating it a villain that you care about and can empathise with enough 
that you don't want to see them die because it means you're creating, you know, you're not just creating a, a cackling, kind of hand-rubbing, you know, <laughs> maniacal type villain, but someone who actually has death. My advice is also try not to kill off the characters. Like, give them a bit of slack, because people are trying to play heroes. Yeah. That yeah. Mean, okay, if your character gets killed off by a falling chandelier in, like, the second mission you've ever played, that's kind of going to bomb them out. If they die epically fighting a dragon near the end of a campaign, that's friggin' awesome. But see, that, that's what they were sort of saying in the panel, is that really attune it to your style, and, like, no... No GM DM game run will ever be the same depending on your uh, game runner and your players. Like it will always be different. So just play it to, by ear, basically, and see what see what works well. To close off the evening in the um, Lincoln and Argyle room was I went and checked out the Great Doctor Who Smackdown, uh, which also um, which. Oh. So whenever you say that, I'm just imagining them in a wrestling ring. I did too. I saw, uh, I saw, I, as much as I knew it wouldn't be, part of me just hoped to see sort of the spandex and a referee in the middle <laughs> there. Just... And the scarf. You can't do it without the scarf. Let's get ready to time travel. Well, that was less a, less a debate and more like a, a friendly get-together over Team Biscuits, yeah. Yes, yes, that was a good episode, wasn't Very it? Very English. Because, yeah, no, one, well, because Doctor Who is one of those shows where because it's, you know, it spans so many generations and there are so many different kinds of episodes, there are some more action-based episodes and there's more uh, character and relationship episodes and there's, you know, some really weird creature episodes. If you take any episode, uh, for whether it's from New Doctor Who or Old Doctor Who, it will be someone's favourite episode of all time and there'll also be someone else, will, it'll be their worst. Oh, I hated that episode. Really? I loved it. My problem with Russell T. Davis as a showrunner was when he started to get too fanboyish. So I have a question for you, but just for your opinion, about Russell T. Davies. Because mm -hmm. um, I'm a big fan of his as a writer before Doctor Who started. But the one thing I've always noticed about him as a writer, which I think was very, very obvious in Doctor Who, the man can't write an ending. To anything. Yes. Like, yeah, it was it was you know some really smart people, very very articulate people leading the discussion, and they would actually have people sort of chime in from the audience. That is something we should mention to you guys. Continuum actively encourages yes. audience participation in many of its panels. It's like you've got the panelists who are the experts in it, but the audience is actually encouraged to uh, pipe in and raise yeah. questions I mean, and things it, it, like that. That's 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 what I mean when you have that sort of reaction to the show where. Personally, I hated that episode. That guy, and his point was still valid. His passion yeah. for it was interesting to listen Ex to. Exactly. So I guess I can sort of see that point. So if that was the last panel, like, was there any extra bits or things that you guys found throughout the con that you wanted to mention? I think one of my favourite events at Continuum wasn't even on the schedule. We walked into a room and all of a sudden there's a couple of people in there with a guitar, with a harp, and they were singing. They were doing it with a floor harp? Like an orchestral harp? Yeah. They always were together And on her hand a golden ring Within which sat forever Filking is essentially like folk music with kind of a nerdy twist. My god it does! It's very much a nerd thing across a lot of cons. It's a very social kind of event. And um... Just really randomly, specifically, there'll be filk songs about, uh, like, smutty Star Wars humour. It's kind of hilarious. Like, this is the thing, right? Like, you can 
make anything up. Or, or folk songs, there, there isn't really a Bible for it. There isn't really a set thing for it. You can do whatever. You can make up songs. You can add on to songs. You can slightly change songs. And some of the, the, the best ones have been passed through a whole bunch of groups and over a whole lot of time. One of the cool things is that they were actually performing a lot of covers, but not covers of things that you'd hear on the radio. They were performing covers of their friends' songs. What they did is there was one of the songs that was about uh, a very famous within the group Filk, Filka, and uh, Filk singer, and like convention attendee. Now he, since uh, the days that this was made, has actually passed. So as they were singing, and, that, and you can tell that they hadn't sung it since, since he was around, because as they were going, they're like, oh, no, wait, he's, he's gone now. So they were singing it suddenly uh, in past tense. And they just changed it as they went along. And it was really interesting. And they had to change some of the words and some of the things that were saying. And, like, it was more like a paying their respects to rather than the, this guy Aww. who was a total ratbag in his lifetime. They all loved him, but at the same time, like, hated him for how awesome yet a ratbag he was. So, overall, thoughts on the comm? I don't know. I totally found that my, my intellect widget goes way up when we're there. I'm just like, oh, my God, we're talking about smart stuff. And like, you actually feel, I don't know, more credible there-ish. No, no, no. I know exactly. You, you feel your level, because you have to sort of almost step up to sort of yeah. keep up with a lot of these people. Yeah. Continuum inspires you to engage on these topics on a much deeper level. Not only that, but a lot of the people who attend as well that you you may or may not be talking to are like intellectuals. There's a whole room of people that you can sort of, yeah. you can just like totally geek out. It's just you know, license to geek out, essentially. Yeah, yeah. One thing we haven't mentioned is the price of Continuum. It's a little bit pricey, but if you're interested in attending Continuum, go along to the Friday because this year it was only a dollar, like a gold coin. So if you like engaging with conventions and want to check out Continuum, you can check out their website at continuum.org.au. It's held every year on the Queen's Birthday weekend in Melbourne. If you don't check the show notes, it's spelt with two U's. Oh, continue. Oh. Yes, the yeah. way we spell it in English, which is our language that we're speaking in. Yes. <laughs> but people might not But know. some people might spell it wrong. So yeah. okay. Click the link spell in the show notes. For... It's yeah. far better. Yeah, yeah. The other thing you want to spell with two N's and two E's is cangeek.com, which is our website, which has a list of every kind of event that's all around Australia and New Zealand, like Continuum, but also things like uh, furry events, uh, science fiction events, anime, Lego events, steampunk events. There's all kinds of things all over the world. So thank you guys for, for, you know, letting us use your lounge room. And, and thanks, thanks to Logan for the snacks. <laughs> and the absolutely amazing slideshow. Like, <laughs> oh, and, the, and of course, if you like us talking to you, especially if you like us talking about furries, check out the podcast feed, check out the website, listen to The Hitchhiker's Guide to Furry. It's really cool. We spent a lot of time working on it. And it yeah. may be the only time it ever gets seen live. <laughs> <laughs> no. Literally months. No, it's worth it. Right. Yeah, it's true. End and this... of the podcast. And we're going to end off my terrible sting. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Poke in the eyes. Oh, shut up. And this is the sound of someone singing who isn't carnival. <laughs> yeah, thank God. There will still be lice and mouses, or perhaps there's mice and mouses. And, and to them, the universe will still be gone. And to them, the universe will still be long. Anymore, and just writes stinks songs, and he just writes books. Yes, how dare you? He's got mainstream.